Welcome to the Build Your Own Table podcast. I'm your host, Nakia Gray, intellectual property attorney, business coach, author, wife, momager, and biz bestie. I know that creating and leveraging intellectual property is how the wealthiest people in the world acquired their wealth, and I believe it's how you should too. This podcast is dedicated to inspiring and motivating women, particularly women of color, to tap into their own creative genius and use it to create, protect, and monetize their intellectual property so they can build wealth through entrepreneurship. My guests and I are going to share our stories of how we got tired of waiting for someone to give us a seat at the table, so we built our own. If you're tired of shrinking to fit into spaces that weren't designed for you, you're in the right place. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Build Your Own Table podcast. I am your host, Nakia Gray, and today we're doing the docket. There is a lot of entertainment, pop culture, IP news, and I'm spilling all the tea today. Okay, so first on today's docket is a lawsuit that the luxury brand, one of my favorite brands, Louis Vuitton has filed against Westgate Discount Mall which is a mall in Atlanta known for um, having flea markets. And so basically what Louis Vuitton is saying is that the owners of this mall, Cabay and Kibi, have created what they call a safe haven for the sale of counterfeit um, Louis Vuitton merchandise, as well as a host of other well-known brands. So here's the thing, and, and this is, you know, I talk about this a lot on TikTok as well. When you are allowing whether you are the person that necessarily created the counterfeit goods right but when you are holding a platform or you are giving space for people to infringe on other brands trademarks you can be pulled into court as well okay and that's exactly what's happening here so it doesn't sound like louis vuitton is saying that the owners of the mall or or the flea market are the ones that have created the products but they've made it safe right they've they've they're allowing these resellers or the people who are the counterfeiters to come in and sell and that you just can't do right and so um the other part of this is that you know louis vuitton gave them many opportunities they sent at least this is according to their legal documents at least 31 notices um, concerning the tenants at the market and they had attempted to import those counterfeit goods but they were seized by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. So let me say this, because this is something that you may or may not know. When you have a registered trademark, one of the protections that you get for having a trademark is that you can register, there's a registry at U.S. Customs and Border Protection to cross-check goods being imported into the U.S. to see if they are infringing on a U.S. trademark. And that's a really good benefit, right? Because that's how Louis Vuitton was able to see, get these goods seized and stop them from marketing them and selling them at this flea market, okay? Um, The other thing is that they also say that they have um, served at least 20 cease and desist letters. And I want to talk about that because I have a lot of people reach out to me and say, oh, I got a cease and desist letter. Can I just ignore it? Do I need to respond? The answer is probably, right? Never would you hear me say you should ignore a cease and desist letter without having an attorney review it for you, look at, you know, investigate to see 
what are the allegations and how strong are those allegations? And are you in danger of infringing on someone's content, copyright, or their trademark, any of their uh, intellectual property rights, okay? So cease and desist letters should be taken seriously, okay? Do not get them and just throw them away or delete them. You should definitely have an attorney, review it, have a conversation, pay for a consultation because this can save you a lot of money in the down and in, in the long run. Okay. What I see happening here with these tenants and with this mall in Atlanta is that now that we're in court, Louis Vuitton is going to be able to say, look at all these notices. We gave them notice. We tried to resolve this without bringing them into court. Now that you are in court, you are possibly and more probably going to be found to do have what we ha what we call willful infringement meaning you knew better and you did it anyway and that my friends will cost you okay so whenever you that's one of the lessons that we can certainly name here um louis vuitton has been very notorious with this okay they've also sent law enforcement agencies there to get the goods to seize these counterfeit um items from uh, being sold at the market and they ha there have even been some arrests and so to me it's like if we've gone this far let's just stop it okay create your own stuff get your own trademarks create your own merchandise and don't infringe on the the marks of others okay next on our docket so this one is an update we talked um maybe a month or so ago about the lawsuit that Cardi B has filed against the blogger Tasha K. Cardi B was successful in that lawsuit. She sued Tasha K for $4 million, just in case you aren't aware of it. I'm gonna give you a quick backstory. So Cardi B sued Tasha K, who is a blogger. She's got a YouTube channel and Twitter and all, you know, she's on social media, very popular. And she made this claim that, that Cardi had a sexually transmitted disease. And Cardi says that was absolutely positively untrue. And Cardi did not stop. She was relentless in going after Tasha K. So she sued her for defamation. She won this lawsuit. She won $4 million. She was awarded $4 million in the lawsuit. Then Tasha K appealed, asking for a new trial, and that was denied. And so she was stuck with that judgment and having to pay it. And so I reported this on a docket a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about what happens when you get a judgment, right? So Cardi has won, she has this judgment, but how does that translate into money in Cardi's pocket or how does she get the money? And she has to actually file something to, uh, to, to collect on that judgment. And that's exactly what Cardi did yesterday. On April 20th, Cardi filed a writ of execution to collect on her four million dollar judgment she filed to seize property that is owned by tasha k so the collection begins <laughs> you know a lot of people were saying oh my goodness well cardi's not gonna get anything she doesn't tasha k doesn't have four million dollars she may not have four million dollars in cash today but certainly she has possibly access to it she's got assets that are worth that much and cardi may say well we're going i'm gonna take everything that she has until i get up to my four million dollars and that's exactly what she has started to do so don't think that just because you don't have money that people aren't going to get anything they can literally make your life miserable and continue to file my guess is right after this cardi will probably file for a writ of garnishment for bank accounts, right? She's going to go after everything that she can. Now, I initially thought 
well, maybe Cardi isn't really after money. She was just doing this, you know, on, on principle, right? This is just a, a GP situation. But Cardi has said, no, 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 Nakia, I want it all. I'm out for blood. And I think that that's, she's well within her rights to do that, right? I think that this is also sending a message to other bloggers and journalists the importance of responsible journalism. And you cannot just post things about people and think that they are, you know, with no regard as to whether or not it's true or not, and possibly bring, you know, such a, a negative light or, or false light to them. Best believe they're coming after you and they, and they should, right? Okay, the next thing on our docket today is, I thought this was a very interesting case. So I am a Peloton lover. I fell in love with Peloton during the pandemic and it's just my thing. I, I bought the Bike Plus, which was their second version of the bike. And so Peloton has been sued by a company, a brand who claims that they were using Bike Plus, which is the which is uh, Peloton's latest bike first. OK, and so uh, they filed a lawsuit against Peloton and Peloton is saying, wait, 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 wait. This company, um, World Champ, had a fitness app called Bike Plus way back in 2014, and they've done nothing with it until we came on the scene. They were not actively using it. Uh, they even, you know, I guess uh, possibly through public information, they were able to find that um, World Champ had not paid corporate taxes. They weren't in the press. They weren't posting on social media. They hadn't updated the app. It looked like this brand was dead. They were not even using it, right? And so that's a lesson here for us. You know, this ha several years ago, I had a client who had gotten a trademark. Unfortunately, she hired a an attorney to do her trademark for her who was not an experienced trademark attorney. Okay, so that's that's lesson number one in this is don't do that. <laughs> you want someone who knows what they're doing. So my client had hired this attorney and at the time, my client had two different services. Uh, one she wasn't doing yet. She was planning to launch it later and the other one she was doing right now. And so instead of, and what an experienced attorney would have done would have been to say to her, okay, we're gonna file under either two different applications or two different bases, right? For the, for the class of services that you are actually doing right now, we're gonna file an in-commerce application. But for the one that you're planning to do down the line, we're going to file an intent to use application. Either that attorney didn't know that, that they could do that or they just didn't do it. Um, in any event, the attorney filed for in both classes at in-commerce application. And this was in the food industry. OK, so fast forward years later, my client gets a letter from an, from a, um, an international food chain that is looking to expand to the US and they wanna get a registered trademark. And the name is very, very similar, almost identical to my client's name. And so my client was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not willing to do that. And so they threatened to sue. And, and what they threatened to do was to get her trademark canceled. So there is a process in the US Patent and Trademark Office that you can file called cancellation proceedings. And we use these, okay? And, and certainly you, you have every right to use it. When you get a trademark, you don't get the government doesn't want you just squatting on these rights, right? Like you're getting some very extensive, great rights um, that you're getting when you get a trademark. 
lots of exclusivity. And so the government isn't willing to just give that out willy nilly and let you just hold it and not be using it. So one of the requirements to keeping your trademark active and keeping it alive and preventing yourself from being hit with a cancellation proceeding is to be actively using it. So I believe that this case that World Champ is facing with Peloton is going to turn on those facts, right? So you can't on one hand say that you've got this brand and this newcomer into the market is infringing on that brand if, you're, if you've totally ghosted the brand, meaning you're not on social, you're not promoting anything, your website's not up to date, you haven't updated it, you're not paying taxes. I mean, that's a huge thing. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's an episode for another day, right? All the things that you have to do to remain active. So what Peloton is saying is they're only trying to resurrect this brand in, a, in an effort to get money from us. And they are probably right about that. And I am not certain that World Champ is going to be able to overcome that because where have you been? Where have you been from 2014 to 2020? And so if you're trying to say, well, now we want to come back out, I think that that's going to be a problem. The other part of it is, and World Champ is saying, well, we're just a small business. We have very limited resources. The government doesn't care about that. Okay. They certainly don't. And, and that admission by World Champ only lends itself to support my contention and opinion that World Champ, World Champ should just bow out of this um, gracefully. Why? Because Peloton's pockets are way deeper. And that means they can fight this from here to kingdom come, okay? And so it's probably just not worth it if you weren't using the brand anyway. And then there's also some argument about whether or not the, the, the app that they have is even closely related to what Peloton is doing anyway. Peloton's Bike Plus is an actual bike. It's a piece of exercise equipment. It's not an app. The app is the Peloton app, right? So there's also that. I think that this is, the, I think they're barking up the wrong tree and I don't think that they are going to be successful, okay? So we've got some really good lessons in IP in this. I'm going to recap for you. Number one, take cease and desist letters seriously. If someone sends you one, do not think that you can just ignore it. Certainly you should contact an attorney right away and find out what your rights are whether you should respond and how you should respond, okay? Number two is to understand that you think that you may be judgment-proof and you are probably not. You don't wanna do things, especially against people that have the money to sue you and think that you're just gonna get away with it and not be sued, okay? And that's what I, I am sure that Tasha K has learned that lesson very painfully, <laughs> very painfully. And, and I'm sure as she goes to satisfy this $4 million, I'm not sure how long it's going to take her to do that, but I can only imagine that that's not going to be um, a painless situation for her. And then finally, when it comes to trademarking, make sure that you're hiring someone who knows this industry, who understands how trademarks work, who understands the strategy behind it, why we choose to file certain things, you know, understanding cancellation proceedings. I have also been very successful in instituting these to get trademarks for my clients who were trying to use something that, you know, other lawyers would, would have told them that they couldn't use because there was someone that had a trademark. But if you do your homework and you do your investigation and you find out that they're not using it, you may have a strong argument for a cancellation. So making sure that you reach out to a trademark attorney, which brings me to the final tip. You know one, it's me. 
if you have questions about trademarks, if you're considering filing one, if you want to know, is it even worth it for you to start going down that road in that process? I invite you to book a trademark brand strategy session with me. I will include a link in the show notes for you to book your session. All right, jurors, you are up to date and that's all we've got on the docket today. I will see you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you did, remember to hit subscribe and to stay updated, head over to buildyourowntablepodcast.com to connect with me. I'm Nikita Gray. I'll see you next time.